Good afternoon, Jack Riccardi. Well, I'll tell you what, our long national nightmare is over. Uh, which one? Now that we have the uh, the verdict oh, that one. in the Depp Heard trial. You know, that's that's really what's been plaguing us, uh, if you think about it, Dennis. That's, yeah. that's been holding back our economy. I mean, we can't... We, we couldn't move forward as a nation. I heard more until... about that trial than I did about what was going on in Uvalde, which is kind of terrible. Sad. Yeah, it's terrible. I, I'm proud of the fact I, I take pride in the fact that we never covered it on this show. We, we, we are preening in our ignorance about it. But, but I will have a few things to say about it today. And uh, if you haven't heard uh, Johnny Depp, for the most part, won. And if you're like, well, what did he win? You don't even need to know. He, he, he'll be fine. He wasn't, he wasn't going to have trouble putting gas in the tank, believe me. Um, talked about this a little bit the last couple of days, and then I saw something today that I thought, i gotta, I got to bring this up. So there, is, there are meetings going on in Washington between uh, leading Senate Republicans. Uh, the, the leader of the, the group is uh, John Cornyn. And Democrats in the Senate who want to do gun control, like Chris Murphy of Connecticut, they're having meetings, which were directed by Mitch McConnell. Cocaine Mitch deputized Senator Cornyn to go to these meetings. And let's work something out on guns. That's what they're doing. And Cornyn uh, said a statement that they're having very constructive conversations. And that should make you very nervous. Because... Whatever you think the answer is to Uvalde, whatever you think went wrong, whatever you think plagues us as a nation, Cornyn and the Republicans are negotiating with people that only that think there's only one problem. There's only one thing. And that is that there are too many privately owned guns in America. Their issue is not with the guns that the shooter, the killer used, their issue is with your gun. Now you can say, well, Jack, you're, you're, you seem very unreasonable, you seem very rigid. I'm unreasonable because you're dealing with unreasonable people. You're dealing with people who look at the whole of the human condition, all of the, all of the dysfunction that we now have learned went into this shooting, and it goes into every one of these mass shootings. You, you take your pick, any of the school shootings, any of the the major shootings at malls or theaters or the supermarket in Buffalo. There's always a, 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 a like a, a, almost a potpourri of human misery and dysfunction and failures and missed uh, red flags and dots that weren't connected. Laws that are already on the books and weren't enforced. This is we mull over new laws. But the people that Cornyn and his team are negotiating with, they only have one interest. I don't know if John Cornyn is a rhino or not. I know some people think he is. But I really don't get what the Republicans think or who they think sent them. They're going soft. They're going wobbly. And let me tell you what I think will happen if they do. And I could be wrong, but this is just my, my read of it. You know this red wave you keep hearing about? This red wave is a reaction to what Democrats have done. It isn't, a re, it isn't an endorsement of the Republicans. 
And if the Republicans start acting like they're no different, the red wave will be gone. It will, it will dissipate. They'll win a few seats. They might win slender control of one or both houses of Congress. But the chance to make large gains, the chance to make uh, history, the chance to register a solid rejection of the Green New Deal and the radicalism of the new Democratic Party, that, that will all go away. What people clearly want right now is common sense approaches to everything. They don't want a little of the Democrats' gun agenda. You can't do a little of it with them. You can't give them one type of gun. You can't give on one part of a right. They will come for it all. You know this, right? On some level, don't the Republicans know this? Don't they, even if it's their heart's not in it, even if this isn't really what they believe, do they not know this is who sent them? Let me read you what Chris Murphy said on CBS over the weekend. So he's the, the anti-Second Amendment Democrat from Connecticut, and he's talking about how great it is that Republicans are working with them. And he says, um, I really think we can pass something to break this logjam that we've had for 30 years, I guess the log jam he refers to as defending the Second Amendment. He says, proving to Republicans that if you vote to tighten the gun laws, the sky doesn't fall for you politically. In fact, you'll get a lot of new supporters. So here's Chris Murphy, a Democrat, supposedly giving the Republicans advice on how to get more support. Do, do, does anyone believe that Chris Murphy earnestly wants to see the Republicans get more voters? That his advice to the Republicans is advice they should take? Like, yeah, let's do what he says. Let's not do what people are who voted for us and contributed to us are telling us to do. Let's do what, what one of the most partisan Democrats in the Senate, the first one who stood up and politicized Uvalde, the first one was Chris Murphy. Let's do what he says. He's got good advice for our Republican Party. Are they going to fall for this? Why are they even in these meetings? You know, I see survey after survey from people saying, harden the schools, defend the schools, lock the doors, one point of entry, armed uh, either police, resource officers, armed uh, staff. They want The Democrats want no part of that. It's all sitting there, all that interest and sentiment is sitting there there's only one political party that can embody it are they going to be too stupid to do that are they going to be too stupid to pick up that baton and run with it are they going to try to be the me too party on gun control what do you think 210-599-5555 i mean you see beto o'rourke he has no center he has no core he changes his position on AR-15s like some people change their socks. Remember he was going to take them, then he wasn't going to take them, and now he is going to take them? This is how you go from a, from a, a rights-based society to a permission-based society. You elect people like him. And then the, the talking point in the media today is that conservatives, conservative media, we're talking about securing the schools merely to distract from the gun control debate. Like we know in our black hearts 
that we need gun control. But being the uncaring, uh, you know, soulless goons and ghouls that we are, we're throwing up all this stuff about um, armed schools and points of entry and security perimeters as a distraction. We, it couldn't be because we want to keep kids safe. But here's my answer to that. If you, if you were to do everything, and God forbid, but if you were to do everything the Democrats are proposing to do about school shootings, even by their own promises, which I don't believe, it would take years, years. In the meantime, kids go back to school in a couple of months, a few months. We need to make those schools safer now. There's some sick brain out there festering and obsessing over the Uvalde killer. Somewhere in America right now, somebody's in their basement being inspired by him. All the dysfunction that went into him, that's, that certainly surely exists elsewhere. We need a plan for schools in the next school year, not years down the road. So absolutely, we should be talking about securing the schools. It is obscene that we secure places that have valuable objects more than we secure places with our most valuable human beings. And then the other talking point today is uh, we don't want your prayers, we don't want your God, don't mention God and faith. That's a distraction. There was a uh, columnist in the Los Angeles Times who says that when Republicans talk about faith in God in the aftermath of a tragedy like Uvalde, what they're talking about is returning to the olden days of slavery. They're invoking a past. They don't want to put a specific year on it or point on it. But they're invoking a period in the past in which they believe God was happier with us and they were happier. And so when people say, pray, pray for Uvalde, I'm praying, they're really saying they want to turn back the clock to white supremacy and slavery and racism, Jim Crow. Now, that, of course, is pretty ridiculous. But isn't it interesting how often people that personally don't pray, obsess over and mock the people who do. Like for people that don't believe in prayer, they sure spend a lot of time worrying about those of us who do. And it's a very old argument that prayer is a distraction, that prayer is a dangerous obsession, we're not the first generation to think we're too good for prayer, we're too smart for prayer, we're too advanced for this faith business. This, this, this discussion's been going on for centuries. Atheists and agnostics and believers. This is nothing new. You can read people like G.K. Chesterton, Chesterton uh, C.S. Lewis. They were writing about this before your grandparents were born. And Chesterton's an interesting case. He was a, an atheist who converted to Catholicism late in life. 
he came to it after fighting it, resisting it, trying every way he could. He was a brilliant writer and philosopher. He, he spent years and years and years publicly and privately trying to find the the faults, the gaps, the 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 inconsistencies until he finally realized, and I'm oversimplifying it, that it was far less sensible, it was far less, I guess you could say, uh, practical or analytical to be an atheist. And he wrote about it in a book called Orthodoxy. And he said that People who rail against religion are like people who rail against police and they act like they've never heard of crime. And the truth is we all know that what happened in Uvalde was evil and was wrong. But if we're not willing to peg evil and wrong to something bigger than ourselves, then why isn't it just an opinion? I mean... Why is anything objectively right and wrong if there is no higher power, higher source for that? So, to summarize, <laughs> we should just be getting rid of all the guns. We don't have to make the schools safer. Republicans should start acting like Democrats if they really want to be successful. 210-599-5555. So, uh, the Democrats and the Republicans are negotiating on gun control, which sounds to me like the Democrats know who voted for them and the Republicans don't. Celeste is on KTSA at 210-599-5555. Hello, Celeste. Hello. So I was raised on God and country, and we've had school shootings even past Columbine. It's not a 9 millimeter handgun issue. It's not an assault rifle issue. I went through private schools, and I can tell you they were built like fortresses. And now that I have a son, I'm sending him to private school because mm -hmm. they're built like a fortress. Mm -hmm. So my thing for you can't stop school shootings. This is a country where the Second Amendment cannot be infringed on. So the only thing I can say to keep children safe is start putting security measures in place at public and private schools. Parents have a code. They have to go through security guards, security aspects. I mean, that's really the only thing that's going to stop this. Um, you know, and then focus on the mental health of our teenagers, because a lot of these mm -hmm. school shootings are teenagers. You know, mm -hmm. bullying does equate to gun issues. Um, they're easy mm -hmm. to access. And, you know, not everybody that was uh, bullied is going to admit that on a psyche eval. So it's got to be twofold. You know, parents mm -hmm. need to be active in their parents' lives. Schools need to be built with better security. And, um, you know, as far as the background checks are concerned, you know, there's only so much the FBI and ATF can do. So, um, but I do believe in prayer in schools. I do believe in rifles and handguns. And I'm a firm believer that Republicans need to get their heads together because... Yeah. Democrats are already taken over, and this country is falling to hell in a handbasket. Yeah. Celeste, can I ask you, I wasn't too clear on something you said at the beginning of your call. You said that um, you, you talked about how much you like the security at the private school that your son attends. Is that the main reason he goes to that school, or were there many reasons? There were many factors. I'm Catholic, okay. and per my faith, I'm to raise my child Catholic. So he's mm -hmm. going to a private Catholic school. 
right. but they got it right. I mean, I cannot get into that school without a code right. and somebody buzzing me in. Yeah, yeah. It's time to it's time to just do that for every school. Uh, politicians' kids go to schools that are secured in that way. Our kids should go to schools that are secured in that way. Thank you, Celeste. Appreciate it. Great call. Uh, John is on five fifty and one zero seven one KTSa. Hello, John. Hello, Jack. Thanks for taking my call. No, when I heard Mitch McConnell dispatch John Cornyn, my heart just sank to my stomach. Uh, I think we're in for another Neville Chamberlain moment. What part of this do they not understand? The people who elect Republicans are being crystal clear about this. I think they're just at a point where they don't care. I think John Cornyn has been in too long. He doesn't care. And I think Mitch McConnell, the same thing. They've lost but they care about being in. Reality. They want to. They want to keep their. They want to keep their power, don't they? I think they do to a degree. At a certain point, I think they've given up, and I think they're so out of touch with reality. They think they're going to get away with it. I think at the end of the day, Mitch um, uh, John Cornyn will wave a piece of paper and say, "Well, I saved a lot of our Second Amendment, but we're going to give up a few things, folks." And it's the right thing. I think he's that far out of touch with the everyday Texan and the everyday American that you know, used to support them. If they do that, and I, I share your concern, I think the red wave largely goes away. I think it'll be a very small one. I, and, I, and what I think will happen is not that, not that voters will switch over to the Democrats. They'll just say, I see no reason to vote. I see no reason to come out. You've given me no choice. You, you're not giving me a, a, an A-B choice. You're giving me uh, an echo of the other party. Right. I think they'll just sit home and discuss and, and unfortunately, people that haven't regularly voted or haven't really followed politics and are getting a little excited about the red wave will just say, nah, forget it. I'm not voting. I'm, I'm yep. done. They're going to lose the enthusiasm. John, thanks for the call. We're going to get to more of these coming up, 210-599-5555. And then um, if you haven't heard, uh, the jury came back with their uh, Depp heard verdict. And uh, I'll just, I have a couple of things I'll just point out about it, and then we'll, we'll move on from it. So if you have been paying attention, and, and I don't blame you, um, Amber Heard was an actress who at one time was married to Johnny Depp. Everybody's heard of Johnny Depp. And Amber Heard was an activist, and she was part of the Me Too movement. And somebody um, ghost wrote an article for her in which she described herself as a victim of domestic abuse. Well, Johnny Depp sued her for defamation, saying he did not abuse her during their brief marriage. And he had previously been accused of being a wife beater uh, by one of the tabloids in England, and he had uh, successfully sued them uh, as well. So... We have had Depp versus Heard here in this country now with lurid testimony and uh, he said, she said, back and forth. Um, like a lot of these Hollywood trials, it, it, it reveals a lifestyle that is pretty far removed from what you and I can relate to. These, these people don't seem like us. They don't seem like anybody we know. Um... It always seems to me like there's a kind there's always at least one person in these stories who is all ambition and um 
for whatever reason, I find that kind of off-putting. Ambition itself is a, is a good quality, but when you're all ambition, when that's all you are, when all you believe in is yourself. And that seems to have been Amber Heard. Johnny Depp's no prize either. He seems to be a drunk and a drug addict and, a, and a, just a crude person, not a good human being. Um, but what I think happened here was that you, you, you basically took the wrapping off two pretty, um, two people who were on the surface attractive, but who underneath were ugly. And the public didn't like the, the underneath on either one of them, but they couldn't stand her. Some people will say, well, it's because he's more famous. Maybe. But we've seen plenty of very famous people fall very hard. In fact, it's a sport in our country to bring down the mighty and the, the high, you know, the high riding. So I, I don't know exactly what happened here. Um, but it seems to me that a big part of this was just how people felt about the two of them, including the jury. And um, neither of them came out looking good, but she just came out looking worse. The um, I couldn't get over the fact, I don't know if you noticed this or not, right about the same time that this went to the jury, the John Durham case went to the jury uh, about Michael Sussman. We talked about this yesterday. The Depp case has been followed with exponentially more interest, not only by the media, but by people. The Depp jury actually took longer than the Sussman jury. I don't know what that says about us, but one of these trials was about Hollywood, and one of them was about democracy. So... I, you probably can tell I, it's not something I, I want to spend a lot of time with. I'm only acknowledging it today because it, the verdict came out today. But um, that's sort of what I took from it. 210-599-5555. Um, any thoughts on that? I'm, welcome, I'm, I'm glad to hear them. I don't have any more to say about it. I don't really want to, again, spend a lot of time on it. Uh, but if there's something that jumped out at you or stood out for you, I, you know, I, I wonder if, I don't think she wrote the piece that appeared. It, it ran, I think, in the Washington Post. I don't think she wrote it. Most people think it was ghostwritten for her. Um, but if you look at the history of the Me Too movement, and, and you can call me a male chauvinist for saying this if you want, and that's fine. It seems to me it set women back. I, I don't think it, I don't think it's done a damn thing to help, encourage, promote, equalize. Um, it has been a disaster for women, and I say this as the father of a daughter. I want her to stand up for herself. I want her to be taken seriously and accorded respect, whether she's whether it's in school or in the workplace. So I'm, I'm. It's not that I have no interest in this. I think I have a great deal of interest in it. She's my whole world. But as far as this group of, of self-appointed guardians and crusaders, I think you've done a terrible job. I, I look at everything from the Clintons 
to Epstein to uh, I can't think of his name, the the movie director or producer, and now this. It's been an unmitigated disaster, series of missteps. Even though we all do, you know we all know it's true, we all know that powerful men do these things, but me too. Didn't didn't work for me. 210-599-5555. All right, so the Republicans are negotiating with the Democrats on gun control. Do you think that is what their voters sent them to do? Is that what they now want them to do? Is that what would lead to a gigantic red wave of victories for Republicans in the fall? Shouldn't there be a party, shouldn't there be a voice in the political landscape saying, hey, this is about more than guns. There's, this is about schools and locked doors and security and valuing children, not with words, but with actions. And learning from past school shootings, which I don't believe we have. You just heard the lady say, you know, I, it's, it's, it's provable, it's obvious that private schools do more. So why aren't public schools trying to do it? And you and I know the reason. 210-599-5555. And Bobby is on 550 and 107.1 KTSA. Bobby, good afternoon. Good afternoon. I'd, uh, I'm an independent, left the Republican able or would be able to compromise a hair on maybe bumping up the age from 18 to 21 with the AR-15 because I remember being 18 being an emotional creature that the time of you're right there at the end of high school seems, seems like some of these guys are that are doing this or about that age to where you still could they could get a rifle let's say and it's a single shot or a three shot rifle bolt action and you know, something that they can't go in and just keep pumping rounds, 30 rounds. And I'd be willing to do that, but at the same time, too, if we do do that, we need to lock that down in in the way it's described because politicians, with their colorful words, what you see is blue, they see is green, and use it against you. And, and because they have the power... They can take that stuff anywhere, and that's the frightening part of it. So I see both sides of that there. But you still want to give it a try? Well, yeah, I give it a try. I'd also like to beef up the schools, and I don't understand that. That you know, there, why there, isn't that the first there. thing? Why isn't that the first thing that we're doing? Why, why isn't that the most obvious first thing? That I don't understand with people that. It's always been big talk of these. A lot of these kids. And why isn't that? Bobby, we're losing. We're losing your cell. I'm sorry. We're 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 losing your cell. But I I appreciate your call. I hear what you're saying. Bobby says I'm a I'm an independent. I've left the Republicans. I'll go along with the 21 uh, age limit. Look, let me just. And and I I may. Maybe I'm coming out of left field on this, but the the 21 thing sounds to me like it is an imitation of the um, drinking age thought process. We're going to raise the drinking age to 21 because too many 18 and 19-year-olds are not able to handle liquor and getting into trouble or hurting themselves or hurting other people. 
And then you get to the real world and they get somebody to buy for them. They get a fake ID. They get, they get liquor. They're drinking. I don't know what the statistics are. Maybe the 21 has reduced it, but it hasn't eliminated it. It's not like people sit around going, I can't touch the stuff till I'm 21. No one's thinking that. So my, my, my take on the 21 uh, age limit for AR-15s or any gun is, yeah, I get what you're saying. I get what you want to do. I, I understand your read of the immaturity. But I, I don't know why you think that would be any... Uh, more that would be any any harder to circumnavigate than age limits on other things. When people want to do something, they lie about their age. We know that on social media. We 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 know that with uh, ID cards. And you can say, well, we'll be tougher, we'll be firmer, we'll use technology. Well, then they'll have somebody else get the gun, or they'll obtain the gun from someone that already has one. There's you know millions and millions of guns already in existence in this country. To me, if you want to give to the Democrats on that issue, you're just whetting their appetite for more. And you're not really achieving anything. But that's just me. You tell me what you think. 210-599-5555. And by the way, um, we talked about this the other day. Is there that much of a difference between 18 and 21? And is the difference even less now than it used to be? I mean, you don't need me to tell you that the average 18-year-old, I'm not talking about your son or daughter, the average 18-year-old isn't what 18 was when we were 18. And that's due to a lot of different inputs and influences and society and media. and you know, but, but, I mean, you know what I'm talking about. 18's not 18 anymore. So it's 21, 21. And this, to me, is the kind of thing that Republicans feel like, oh, we can deal on this, but you're not dealing with people who are dealing in good faith. And in the meantime, there's that back of the, you have that back of your mind sense that, well, even if I don't really care about that, it, it, these don't seem like people you should negotiate with. You know, I hear the leader of their party lying about guns, lying about calibers, lying about lying about all kinds of things. Why would I deal with people who have demonized my side, are demonizing lawful gun ownership, are speaking of the Second Amendment as something that is not absolute, lying about the history of guns in this country, you couldn't get cannons, why would, why would you give those people anything? Paul Friedman uh, called the process a long road, uh, but as of June 15th, which is just days from now, uh, Hinckley will be uh, freed without condition. The judge saying in his order, if he hadn't tried to kill a president, he would have been released unconditionally a long time ago. So we're asking you on the Stevens Roofing JR poll question today, do you agree or disagree with the unconditional release of Hinckley? The judge is saying, hey, if this was any other case, he would have already been released. But it isn't any other case. It is. It, I, I find the distinction important. I think the fact that you tried to kill the president is, uh, to me, that makes all the difference in the world. 
it's a, it's a, it is a different crime. I don't mind saying that. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not embarrassed to say I think that's a different standard. I don't get this, but we'll talk about it. I want to see what you think, where you're at on it. And of course, we're talking about uh, Republicans and Democrats negotiating on gun control. Uh, we're talking about all the things that can be and, and should be done and could be done much faster if we want schools to be safer sooner. Because even if you believe the gun control argument, it's sort of a let us do these things and then you'll see, down the road, you'll see. And that's, you know, if you think about it, the best they can promise you is give up your rights and down the road you'll feel safer. I want to know about August when kids go back to school. I don't want to know about down the road. Ruben is on 550 and 107.1 KTSA. Ruben, good afternoon. Oh, thanks, Jack, for taking my call. Uh, real quick, um, I'm someone who believes that the background checks work because uh, I had purchased, uh, I had put on layaway one uh, rifle, and it was at a pawn shop. And then uh, later I went to Walmart. I saw a rifle that I, I liked, and I went ahead and got that one first, passed the background check for that. And then uh, a week coming up that was going to take the other one out, uh, I didn't I didn't pass that background check, and I was wondering why. I had just purchased one from Walmart, a twenty two, and uh, I couldn't pass this other one. So I had to go through the process of challenging it, getting my fingerprints, uh, and sending it. I did it twice to get that uh, – to try to get back, you know, if I wanted to purchase a, a, a firearm. So I believe the background checks work. And I, I keep hearing on the radio and everyone talking about we need background checks or we need uh, more background checks, but I think they work. And i got to be honest with you, know, Ruben. i, I got to be honest with you. I, 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 I want to believe you, but this guy acted mm-hmm. like a maniac in front of mm-hmm. a, everybody in a small town. I do right. not know what more he could have done to call attention right. to himself as a troubled, screwed up, dangerous, ticking time bomb. And you're going to tell me That's background true. checks work? I'm sorry, I don't think well, they always I mean, do. They may have caught up with well, you, but I don't think they're full. Yeah. Pr- they're not enough to keep schools safe. Well, maybe I should have worded like it worked. It happened to me because I, I was thinking, well, they work because uh, I don't have no uh, felonies or anything, but. Uh, for some reason, uh, I wasn't able to do that, and and I. But how do you explain the people that that are that are way worse than you and pass the background check? How do you explain that? that that's that one's hard to explain. I mean, th- there was a lot of red flags from what I hear, and no one said anything. Um, I mean, this guy was threatening women on the internet with rape and death. He was posting pictures of dead cats and animal torture. He slashed his own face. He drove around town shooting at people with a BB gun. All of our existing laws should have already had this guy not just on the map, but the center of the map. And and, and he's still free to go into that school a a week ago yesterday. It's enraging. It's frustrating. And I I just don't think this is a question of more laws. Not when the existing ones aren't working. More laws are not going to make it, uh, even with uh, Nancy Pelosi's husband. Even when he got drunk driving laws, I mean, he still got caught. Yeah. 
So yeah. none of it's going to quit. Ruben, I got to hold you there. Thank you, sir. Nothing says 2022 quite like the fact that we're having Bill Pyatt, our constitutional law expert, on the show to talk about Johnny Depp. That uh, If that doesn't describe this year in a nutshell, I don't know what does. Emphasis on the nut. Uh, but he joins us on our KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker line. And Professor Pyatt, good afternoon. Welcome. Um, we had basically here a defamation case. Uh, where uh, Amber Heard had written a piece, or someone had written it for her perhaps four years ago, in which she described herself as the victim of domestic abuse. Uh, That seemed obviously to imply that he, her then husband, was her abuser. Um, So he sued her for that. She countersued him uh, because she said he defamed her when his lawyers called her allegations a hoax. Is this a garden variety defamation case, or is it different because these are very famous people? Yeah, thank you for having me on, Jack. And yes, it's different. There's some interesting constitutional law issues besides all of the tawdry details. When you sue someone for defamation, basically you have to show that what they've said is false and that it caused damage. But in the case of a public figure who is suing, because the First Amendment gives people right to speak out about public figures in a way that it doesn't just, you know, people one-on-one, you have to show that the public figure uh, who's bringing the suit, that the attack was malicious, that is, that it was made knowingly false or with a reckless disregard for the truth. So it was a little bit more than just a garden variety type of of, uh, slander Mm -hmm. case and defamation case. Well, how would it have been different if this was a couple like, you know, the people next door that had no fame or notoriety? They would still be able to say my reputation is part of my ability to make an income and my standing in the community. How, how would it be different if you're not famous versus you're, you're globally famous? Well, if you're a public figure, if you're a public figure, then you open yourself up to public criticism. And that's especially true of people who are public officials. If you're just a private citizen and you're minding your own business and you're not out there in the public and someone says something that is untrue that causes you damage, it's relatively easy to to bring the suit and to recover. But again, a public figure, one of the disadvantages of the notoriety is that you make yourself a bit of a target, which means it's harder for that person to recover when people are saying nasty things about you. Uh, And, of course, the interesting thing in this case is that both of them were found to have defamed the other, but he obviously got the much bigger judgment, including a punitive damages award that she did not get. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to ask I wanted to ask you about the Supreme Court decision on the Texas uh, social media law that at the time this was passed and signed by the governor, a lot of people said it would not survive uh, a, a constitutional uh, trial, and it has not. The Supreme Court, by a 5-4 to four vote, has temporarily blocked um, the bill. I, I want to talk about what this law would have done, but I'm also struck by, as I think everybody is, by the configuration of the opinion. You had three conservatives dissenting, Alito, Thomas, and Gorsuch. The fourth, in favor of letting the law take effect, was Elena Kagan. Uh, you also had a strange mix in the majority. It was Breyer and Sotomayor, two liberals, 
and Kavanaugh and Barrett, two conservatives, then joined by Roberts, who apparently views himself as a, as a swing vote. Mm-hmm. The thing is, though, this is just a temporary emergency stay. The Supreme Court has not yet reached the ultimate determination as to whether or not our statute is unconstitutional. The, the law that we're talking about bans online platforms from restricting user posts based on their political views. And it's gone back and forth in the lower courts all the way now to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court is ultimately going to have to decide whether or not Texas is going to be allowed to to impose restrictions on these social media uh, giants. And if you just take a look at the split so far, it looks like Texas's chances of succeeding don't look too good. If you've got two conservatives, Kavanaugh and Barrett, uh, willing at this point to grant an emergency stay, it kind of indicates that they're thinking that ultimately the law is not going to be mm-hmm. able to be upheld. That's just my speculation. And Kagan, on the other hand, a liberal who would have allowed the emergency stay, it may not be that she's really so much focused on the constitutionality ultimately, but on the process of whether or not federal courts should be basically get to second guess state legislation before it reaches a final decision. But all that speculation, all we know is that right now, the law is not going to be enforced, and the Supreme Court ultimately will have to decide whether it's constitutional. How much of this goes to the, you and I have talked about this before, the the, the debate over whether um, companies like Facebook are platforms or publishers? Exactly. Yeah, so there is, the, the, the original thought was when there was an early version of statutes when the internet first came into effect that Social media was just going to be like a bulletin board when anybody could put up a notice and it wouldn't be edited and people could accept it, reject it or whatever. But it's obvious that's not what has turned out to be the case. Social media companies obviously are restricting. They obviously step in and claim something is disinformation and remove a piece or they even remove the speaker. And Texas and Florida both have been concerned that it looks like conservatives are the ones who's posts are being the most restricted based on political expression. So I think nobody is really happy with the whole situation. Uh, There is a a tremendous First Amendment, a number of First Amendment issues at stake. First of all, the First Amendment rights of the conservative speakers not to be censored by a platform that is private, but that's also getting the equivalent of a pass from liability because of the protection that Congress has given it. Mm -hmm. And then you have the First Amendment rights of the platform operators to be able to to make decisions about what they're going to allow to go yeah. forward on their platform. Well, and there's just a discomfort level with having the government even get involved in this. I, I just, because, uh, you know, you, you you can cheer when your side wins and the other side loses, but eventually it'll be the other way around. And I, I, don't, I don't think we want a world in which the government is the third party in every exchange on the Internet. That's the danger, and that's why it's such a tricky case, and that's probably why there is such a what looks like a strange political split. But mm-hmm. I actually think that's a healthy political split mm-hmm. because it takes a suggestion that we have these ideologues that rule before they even hear the case based on their politics. That's obviously not going on here. Yeah, great point. Um, we've been talking a lot about the Second Amendment lately, uh, Professor, obviously, and um, I was making the point yesterday that we are a, a rights-based society versus, for example, Canada, which has just unveiled a package of new handgun control measures, which is a permission-based society. So 
to own a gun in a permission-based society, you own it with the forbearance of the government. In a rights-based society, the government has to prove that it has some uh, grounds on which to regulate or infringe. We hear the President of the United States repeatedly saying the Second Amendment is not absolute. Is it? It's not. Uh, nothing is absolute in the Constitution. Even the First Amendment guarantee that says Congress shall pass no law, the courts have interpreted that to mean that it's not absolute. But I think the president doesn't either understand or is misstating the, the very narrow limitations that can be imposed under the Second Amendment. So he's, he's right in that we could, if Congress approved, Congress could impose a, a restriction on semi-automatic assault weapons. Okay, so in, that, in 2008, the Supreme Court said for the first time clearly that the Second Amendment gives a personal right to bear arms, to, mm-hmm. to defend yourself. In 2010, it expanded that to say the states can't interfere with that right. The Heller case mm-hmm. was the District of Columbia. The case that's in front of the Supreme Court now has to do with whether or not the state of New York can prohibit people from carrying firearms outside of the home for self-defense or whether the Second Amendment allows that. Now, in the past, even in Scalia's opinion, the, the Heller opinion, Scalia said the Second Amendment doesn't protect the right to own all weapons, but he didn't say exactly what limitations could be imposed. What we do know is that in 1994 and until 2004, there was a, a law in effect, the Public Safety and Recreational Firearms Act, that prohibited the manufacture, transfer, or possession of semi-automatic assault weapons. The courts upheld that. The the courts uh, allowed the states to prohibit, allowed the federal government to prohibit what was defined as an assault weapon, including some specific weapons, like the Colt AR-15 was mentioned specifically in that uh, in that statute. However. The studies afterwards seem to show that that ban, which expired in 2004, actually had little effect on overall criminal Mm -hmm. activity, did not reduce firearm homicides, may have reduced the frequency of mass shootings, but in any event, there was not sufficient interest to maintain it, so it's expired. For the president to come out and say it's not absolute, he's right in a technical legal sense, but his suggestion that therefore you can ban whatever you want, that's just not true at all. Is it, would it be more honest for the uh, advocates of gun control, and, and I know Michael Moore, the director, actually came out and said this over the weekend, wouldn't, wouldn't the honest discussion be repealing the Second Amendment? Uh, yeah, what they would have to do is amend the Constitution, which isn't going to happen. Uh, but that's, Well, I that's understand the... it's, it, it's almost impossible to do, but I mean, that would at least... To me, you would then you would no longer be misleading your own side about what you're able to do because that's what they're doing right now. They're promising things they're not going to be able to deliver on. And if you don't believe it's absolute, and if you do believe it was passed at, or or or, uh, or ratified in a time of musketry and militias, then re- repeal it. Y- y- if you believe that's the will of the people, you can get the 38 states and you can do it. But th- they're not honest enough to say that. No. And the other thing that could happen, theoretically, legally, is there could be a change on the Supreme Court, either by the gradual evolution of the court or by court packing. And you could have a new Supreme Court that would then reverse the decision in Heller and say there is no 
right to bear arms mm-hmm. in a private sense, only if you're going to belong mm-hmm. to a militia. I think the odds of that happening are not great, but they are much greater than repealing the, mm-hmm. the entire Second Amendment. And the, the argument that I've heard about the musketry issue, that's true. There were not AR-15s at the time the Second Amendment was put into effect. On the other hand, there weren't TV stations and radio stations, and nobody in their right mind would say the First Amendment doesn't protect broadcasting mm-hmm. on the grounds that it didn't exist at the time of the Constitution. So I'm not, you know, I'm not saying whether it's a good idea or bad idea to regulate weaponry at this point. I'm just saying that there is a Second Amendment. It is not accurate to say that it, you know, to suggest it because it's not absolute. You can do whatever you want. No, no. The Supreme Court statement right now is that you have a right to defend yourself. You can bear arms, and bear means more than just keep it locked up in a, in a gun closet. It means you can bear them. You can carry them. And now we're going to find mm-hmm. out with the case this term whether that means carry them as a matter of constitutional carry outside of the home. Good stuff as always, Professor Bill Pyatt, constitutional law expert on our KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker line. Professor, thank you tonight. So everybody's trying to figure out, myself included, um, about all the red flags, all the bizarre behaviors that the Uvalde killer exhibited um, in the in the time leading up to this terrible event a week ago yesterday. But you have to remember, a lot of what we're describing did not happen in front of his neighbors in Uvalde. It happened on the Internet. So if you're witnessing some weird kid with eyeliner talking crazy, making vague threats, and you don't know where he is, what are you supposed to do with that? I mean, I know you're supposed to report these things to administrators, but we have to remind ourselves the red, the so-called red flags were not all in front of people physically. How could somebody spewing so much hate in so many directions do so without raising an alarm? And I think the answer is that he was in a world a virtual world where we are used to depravity. We are used to seeing weirdness. I mean, I'm not saying you go to depraved websites, but but it, you don't have to go very far <laughs> into the Internet to see things, to see people, to see behaviors that are just weird. And this Ubo app that he was on that has a social networking and live streaming components to it, and it's very popular, um, is where he was posting and showing a lot of this. So we're, we're debating laws that are about people acting out in front of actual human beings and background checks and red flag laws, but that's not going to help us if the acting out is in a virtual space. And that's why I say, I, I, I think if we care about these children, if we mourn these children, and we worry and, and value our own, we have to be willing to talk about a lot of different things. I'm not, I'm not taking anything off the table, but I'm, I'm not willing to limit the discussion to the one thing that one political party or one political faction has always wanted and now sees the opportunity to get. That is 
transparently obvious. And not only do I disagree with their motives, I think you know that about me, but I don't even believe that they believe that solves the problem. They know deep down that if they get the gun laws they want, if they get the changes in gun ownership they want, that doesn't make the schools reopening their doors in August or September any safer. It just doesn't. We have to be willing to look at everything. And we have to find out. I was, I was talking to a friend of mine about this today. We need to know a lot more about Uvalde. Not because I want to throw somebody under the bus or blame somebody. I want to blame the, the, the murderer. I want to blame the killer. I, I, for all the talk about the police and what they did or didn't do, let's remember, he's the killer, he's the responsible party. But we need to know what happened. We can't move on past this if we don't trust what we're being told. The story keeps changing. Just the door thing alone, right? Was it propped open? Yes, it was. No, it wasn't. Yes, it was. No, it wasn't, but it didn't lock. You know, let's just talk about that for a second. If there's video of the teacher opening the door and propping it open or kicking the rock away and closing it, why not release the video? I'll bet there is. Release it. Protect the privacy of the teacher if you want, although I'm sure people in the community know who he or she is. If you want the public to have faith in this investigation, we're going we're gonna to need evidence and facts that don't change every day and that don't seem to be spun to cover somebody's ass. I understand there's going to be a lot of ass covering. I get it. But I'm, I'm, I'm wondering how we get to a place, if we ever get to a place, where there will be a clean version of this that we accept. Or whether this descends into the fog of conspiracy theories. It's not that complicated. It's not a highly complex, you know, multiple plots, multiple actors. It, it, it shouldn't be, Right. Um, I want to play this clip for you. Uh, they were interviewing uh, Mitch Daniels, who is the president of Purdue University and was the governor of Indiana. And, and a guy who at one time looked like he might run for president back in the day. He's out of politics now. He's, he's turned his back on all that. Uh, but when Mitch Daniels was the governor of Indiana, um, he seemed like a real Reagan-esque uh, conservative Republican. I was a fan of his. I think a lot of people were. Anyway... He's talking to CNBC about the president's push for student loan debt forgiveness. And this is what Purdue President Mitch Daniels said about that. Cut number six. Uh, five. Cut number five. Or is it cut number six? Now I don't what do you think now that it's being floated that this is going to happen? $10,000 get wiped off for anybody who's making less than $150,000 a year or $300,000 if you're married and for- filing jointly. Becky, uh, this, this dead fish isn't smelling any better the older it gets. I th- it, one reason this has taken so long for the administration to say something about it is they know it's fatally flawed. You know, this is, ju- this is another uh, very regressive suggestion. Uh, they're going to give money to people making 
uh, three times the national median average in, in household case, four and a half times. Seventy one percent of the money goes to the top uh, half of the income distribution. Um, this uh, there's just no way to present this, that it isn't a, uh, a giveaway to people who, who don't need it and who uh, you know, freely took these obligations on. Of course, I believe that in e an equal uh, unfairness is to all those millions of people who paid their debts back. 99% of our graduates at Purdue do pay them back. Not sure what I'm supposed to tell them when other people are let off the hook. Um, so I think that um, uh, among its other defects, uh, the, un the gross unfairness of this is the worst. Here we were supposed to be concerned about in income inequality and so forth, and uh, uh, this heads just the wrong direction. Well, he says a lot there, and I agree with every bit of it. Um, tell me what you think about that, how you feel about that. 210-599-5555. He brings up the regressiveness of it, that it's actually a, a, a political kiss for Biden's more affluent supporters. The Democratic Party has become the party of the more affluent. I don't know if you know that or not, or you probably have noticed. And that's what this is. It's in disguise as kind of a Joe Lunchbox thing, but it's not. It also, it seems to me that it, it sort of suggests that you ought to be able to make an investment. And if your investment doesn't work out, you get bailed out. Now, we all make investments. You might buy a house, you might buy land, you might buy stocks, mutual funds, whatever it is. And when you take out a student loan, I would argue you are making an investment or taking a gamble on your future, on your career. You may have been given bad information, but I might be given bad information by my broker, or I might get bad information from some podcast I listen to, or I read an article, or be misled by a, somebody I know. So I, I don't dispute that people were misled into taking these loans, but I can't help but see them as uh, investments or gambles. And you win some, you lose some. And now you're going to have to pay. Life isn't always fair, but you don't get to, to take the easy way out. And I, I believe the Democrats are trying to buy votes here with this. And I think you're going to see more of this. People joke, well, what will be next? I, I, it's not a joke. If they are able to forgive any part of this debt, they will pivot to other kinds of consumer debt and say, well, that was unfair too, or that's onerous too, or that's weighing down the economy, or that's preventing people from living their lives. And it's all income transfer. It's all making people who didn't make the investment or take the gamble pay to bail out people who did. And Mitch Daniels gets that. What do you think about that? 210-599-5555. By the way, um, at the time that he was the governor of Indiana and people were saying he should run for president, the knock was that he didn't have much charisma. He's kind of a nondescript-looking guy, soft-spoken. You heard him there in the clip, um, kind of dry. I don't know about you, but give me nondescript, dry, <laughs> lack of charisma, I'm okay with that right now. I'm I'm fine with that right now.
I wouldn't mind a president who knew what he was talking about and had his facts, knew where he was. He can be as dull as he wants. Even calling it student loan forgiveness is very Orwellian. You're reassigning the debt. You're assigning your debt to someone else. If I was to put it to you that way, you'd probably be uncomfortable with that. You wouldn't feel right about that. So the politicians don't want you to be uncomfortable with it. So they give it a name that makes it sound like it's there's no impact on anybody else. If it was really that easy to forgive student loan debt, if it could just be done with the wave of a pen, why not just forgive all debt? All debt ultimately uh, is onerous and ties up money and weighs down. I mean, what? why not just wave it all? Let's not give them any ideas, right? I think they already have the ideas. For every college graduate that gets loan assistance, there will be 100 pissed-off voters who will vote these idiots out of office. Well, I I hope you're right. I don't know if that's true, but I'd like to think so. I'd li- I, I mean, I don't want there to be more division, but I don't see how you don't create division with something like student loan forgiveness because the division will be people that are paying or did pay their own way uh, resenting and feeling like suckers for people who didn't and aren't. And if you were um, if you were trying, if you were some alien civilization or something, if you were if you had if you had come down to this planet and you were trying to pit American against American, if you were trying to divide and tear apart not even divide, that's not a strong enough word, tear apart this country and make enemies out of people who otherwise should be smiling and waving at each other over their fences or their bushes, you couldn't do a better job than the modern Democratic Party is doing. Everything they touch turns into division and resentment and envy and blame. The modern left is is basically just a hate machine. And that's why I find it so funny that they are so dismissive of religion and faith because their knock on religion and faith is that it's divisive or it's oppressive well i mean there's no doubt i think even the most staunch defenders of faith would say yes at times organized religion throughout history organized religion has been an oppressor has been divisive that's true we fought wars over religion that's true but nobody takes Nobody takes the cake like the modern left. Nobody is better at dividing and pitting people against one another. And and basically telling you, their message on every issue is that not only is your unhappiness not your doing and not your responsibility, but they're always glad to point out exactly and specifically who you should resent, hate, or blame. Or who owes you, Right? So they're not leaving it up to you to even figure that out. Your misery, your unhappiness, never your doing, always somebody else's, 
and here's who the somebody else is. We'll name them. We'll mark them for you so that you will know. And you're going to hate me for making this analogy, but I'm going to make it. It reminds me a lot, a, a book I read years ago, and I've recommended on this show a number of times, um, called The Looming Tower. It's by a man named Lawrence Wright. And he wrote the book in the early 2000s, and it was about the history of Islamic fundamentalism. And the takeaway you will have from reading the book The Looming Tower is that Islamic fundamentalism, the seeds of what became Al-Qaeda and ISIS and modern-day Islamist terrorism, they were sown about 100 years ago. It's, it's taken about 100 years to get to this point. And the messaging in very poor, backwards Arab and Muslim countries, so countries that were not in the 20th century but were in like the 7th or 8th century, the message they spewed was this message. Your misery, your unhappiness, your poverty, the things you don't have, the things you think you should, none of it is your fault, none of it is your choice, none of it is has anything to do with you but here's whose fault it is, and they pointed them out. The Jews, the imperialists, the capitalists, Britain, the United States, the United Nations. These people have held you in the dust. These people have impoverished you. They hate you. It's the same message. It's the same strategy. We better hope and pray it doesn't lead to the same result. Because that systemic, decades-long messaging yielded generations of young Muslims who gave not a second thought to entering the service of terrorist organizations, killing civilians, committing atrocities, their own lives being of no value. That's what, you, that's what you do to people when you keep telling them. Nothing is your responsibility. You can't make your life better. There's no. It wouldn't be like if you worked harder or you tried harder or you pulled yourself up by your boots. You can't do it. That was, if you read The Looming Tower, that was the message of the, the early precursors to what became the Muslim Brotherhood and Al-Qaeda. The, the message was you, you can't make it. The world is set against you. It's rigged. So you might as well just lash out, make them pay, make them bleed, make them die because they've done this to you. And I'm sorry, I know this is a serious thing to be saying and people want to just kick back and enjoy their afternoon, but you, you have to know what that leads to when you keep telling people that. Not proposing solutions, not lifting people up, not saying, hey, look, look at this person. They're, they were just like you, but look at how well they're doing now. You could do that too. You know, when I was a kid a million years ago when the surface of the earth was still cooling, we would read books by successful people back when successful wasn't a four-letter word. Because we thought, well, if he did it, maybe I could do it. Or maybe I can do, do it the way he did it. Or maybe there's something in his story I could adopt and make part of mine. That was very common thinking. But why would you even pick up a book like that or, or seek out a story like that or 
or take an interest in somebody else's success if you are being told all the time because of your skin color or because of your zip code or just because you can't make it you can't do it and the only thing you have left is just to be angry and resentful and we're going to tell you who to direct that at. We're going to keep reminding you who they are. You know what to do. We're playing with fire, I think. You'd say, well, that was a different place, Jack, different culture, different time. I, I hope you're right. If you haven't heard, uh, a federal judge has ordered the unconditional release of John Hinckley Jr. He, he's been in sort of gradual release, but now this is the end of all monitoring and uh, containment. Uh, so as of June 15th, uh, he'll, he'll be as free as you or me. The judge says given his crime, he would have been given unconditional release a long time ago. The only reason it's taken this long, chided the judge, is because he tried to kill a president. Well, I'm sorry. I think that's a pretty important decision. It doesn't seem like, it doesn't seem like a technicality to me. I mean, I don't know how you feel about it, but it's not that presidents are better people or deserve more dignity or their life. It's that killing a president is a crime against the people of a country. It's, it's, it's a crime against the, the, the nation. Okay, you talk about threats to democracy, and politicians are very fond of talking about threats to democracy. There's probably nothing less democratic than an assassin's bullet, right? That's the that's the antithesis of democracy. That's the cancellation of. De- you talk about stealing an election. You could steal an election for twenty cents. So I, I'm sorry. I think, I think John Hinckley is different than somebody who had shot. Just some poor guy coming home from work. That, that's not to diminish other victims that's to say that you're you're not just shooting at a person when you shoot at a president that's just my take i want to know what you think 210 599 um john cornyn says the talks are going really well with democrats about gun reform since uvalde john cornyn and some other republicans are having closed door meetings with uh democratic colleagues And in a statement yesterday, Cornyn said, uh, our work continues together to address details we hope to be able to discuss at some point soon. It's going well. What do you think of that? It's going well. The party that runs on the Second Amendment, right? I mean, the Republicans, come on, right? Whether you believe it or not, they wrap themselves in it, right? Is negotiating with the party that believes the Second Amendment referred to muskets and militiamen and believes the gun is the only problem we have with school and mass shootings. Not interested in hardening schools, securing schools, not interested in anything else, not interested in, the, in what's happening to human beings including what's happened to human beings these last two years. I, I think any shooting that happens today, you've got to look at, well, what was the experience that person was going through or how did the 
the last two years of lockdowns exacerbate whatever that person already had or was sick with or was dealing with. But no, it's just the gun. How do you feel about Republicans doing this? You want them to do it? Are you happy that they're doing it? Or is this not what you sent them for? If they keep playing footsie with the Democrats on this issue, I think they are flirting with a much flatter red wave in November. I mean, there's going to be one because, I mean, let's face it, there almost has to be one. History says there has to be one. But you're telling a lot of voters who might not be too excited about the Republican candidate in their Senate race or their House race, that it really isn't going to matter anyway, that the the red-blue thing isn't going to really matter. If that's what Republicans want to do, have at it. What do you think? 210-599-5555. It seems like people are pretty clear in, in surveys and just you talk to people. Everybody's pretty clear that they find the, the lack of security at schools scandalous. Everyone I've talked to has said, I can't believe we haven't already done X, Y, and Z. It doesn't seem like it would take a rocket science or a Karl Rove or whatever for the Republicans to figure out, hey, you know what we should get behind? You know what would be popular? Not having coffee meetings with Chris Murphy. You know what would be popular is if we became the party that said, hey, let's protect our schools the way we protect government buildings, tourist attractions, high-end retailers, supercar dealerships. Let's protect our kids the way we talk about our kids. Seems like that would be a no-brainer. White House Press Secretary Corinne Jean-Pierre says that the president is not interested in hardening schools. Quote, it is not something President Biden believes in. Because, quote, the problem is with guns. You know, you'd think they would just throw out a a bone about hardening the school. Like, we want gun control and we want to lock the doors. Nope. We just want the gun control. That's what she says. 210-599-5555. We played the clip. Let me play it again. We played the clip yesterday of the president um, teaching us what he knows about high-caliber handguns. Cut number two. Play that one, Doc. They showed me an a, 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 a x-ray. He said a 22 caliber bullet will lodge in a lung, and we can probably get it out, maybe able to get it, and save the life. A 9mm bullet blows the lung out of the body. So the idea of these high caliber weapons is just there is simply no rational basis for it in terms of about self-protection, hunting. I mean, I just remember the Constitution, the Second Amendment, is never absolute. So when you're defending yourself or your life or your family, um, your your top priority is to have a uh, is to inflict a wound on the person that they will be able to recover from. That's that's what you're that's what you're thinking, right? That's what's going through your mind. This is the man who several years ago. I think this is when he was vice president, was talking about how if a woman was home alone 
and feared for her safety, she should just buy a shotgun. This is the same Joe Biden. This is the famous, you haven't heard it in a while, buy a shotgun advice from Joe Biden. Cut number three. She's asking if um, a ban goes into effect on certain kinds of weapons and high-capacity magazines. And what's her name? Um, Kate. Kate, if you want to protect yourself, get a double-barrel shotgun, have the shells, a 12-gauge shotgun, and I promise you, as I told my wife, we live in an area that's wooded and somewhat secluded. Said, Jill, if there's ever a problem, just walk out on the balcony here or walk out, put that double barrel shotgun and fire two blasts. I promise you, who's ever coming in is not going to. You don't need an AR 15. It's harder to aim, it's harder to use, and in fact, you don't need 30 rounds to protect yourself. Mm. Buy a shotgun. Buy a shotgun. Mm hmm. Um, you wonder how many husbands accidentally got shot and pizza delivery guys and, you know, Jehovah Witnesses. <laughs> I mean, they're not even trying. Um, and, and in a way, the fact that they're so dismissive of the particulars, the facts, in a way that's good, I think, because we would really be in trouble if the gun uh, control effort was being led by somebody let's say, who had credibility or could talk with authority, who knew the language, knew the nomenclature, didn't spew facts that were laughably erroneous. We'd be in worse shape if they were being rational about this. The saving grace we have going for us right now is that when he talks about guns, he's making no sense. I mean, he's making no sense, period. I mean, you heard the story the other day. He was... He was giving the commencement address at the University of Delaware. And in the 80th year of his life, Joe Biden revealed something he's never told before, something that he didn't put in his own autobiography, which is pretty remarkable when you hear it from him. He tells the graduates at Delaware that he almost went to and received a commission to the Naval Academy. I'm sorry, he was speaking to the Naval Academy. He, he went to Delaware, but he, he was speaking to the Naval Academy. He's telling them, hey, I almost went here. And that's never been, he's never revealed that. He wrote, he wrote two books about himself, never told that story. He's been on the campaign trail. He's been in front of military audiences. He's never told that story. And now all of a sudden he's telling them that he was uh, given a commission by the then senator from Delaware, and he went on to say... Funny, funny thing that happened, I wound up running against that senator and defeating that senator. When I started my political career, it was a man named Caleb Boggs. So yesterday at the White House briefing, CBS uh, reporter Ed O'Keefe asks uh, Corinne Jean-Pierre, what, what's the deal with Biden going to the Naval Academy? Take a listen to this, cut number five. One other thing I wanted to just clarify, something he said on Friday uh, during his address at the Naval Academy. The president was born in 1942, graduated from the University of Delaware in 1965. In his address, he said he was appointed to the Naval Academy in 1965. Was he? Was it in 1965? So I'd, 
Oh, I did not hear that part of the speech, uh, so right I would have to. Okay, I did. I I missed. A lot of writing about it. I no, I hear you. I hear you. I have not. I, I need to read it myself and just go back and, and see what you're talking about exactly. I, I can't speak to it right now. Mm. Um, I'll be interested to see how they clear this one up because usually they circle back, and they clean it up, and they always have some. Well, what he meant was, but this isn't. You, you can't kind of have a commission. So I'll be interested to see where this goes. And, and again, my, my point is, I'm not mocking because this is sad. I mean, we're, we're beyond the point where this is funny anymore. But my point is, thank goodness that the, the argument and the case against the Second Amendment has to be led by Joe Biden. That's the only thing that's keeping this argument from probably convincing a lot more people and maybe carrying the day. I don't have I don't have a lot of confidence that we can hang on to this with the leadership we have in the Republican Party. So the saving grace is look at who their leader is. I'm past this being funny or making jokes about it. Um and you've heard you've heard me say it. I I don't think there's any doubt that the president's health is 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 very poor. I think uh, history is going to say that this is one of the great health scandals that we've ever had in the presidency, and we've had a number of them. But this one is right out in the open. And um, but I don't. I, so confusion and mush mouth is one thing, but I don't know. T- making up in the 80th year of your life a new story that you've never told before that's easily fact-checked away. There's no basis for it. Um, I don't know what that is. But I'm sure glad he's the leading voice of the anti-Second Amendment battle. That may be the best thing we have going for us right now. Tina is on KTSA. Tina, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, It's pretty sad that we have a dumbass for a president, okay? I literally watched somebody get shot with a twenty-two. It ricochets throughout the body. It shatters things. I'm a police officer, and I carry a 9mm. And I'm also a school police officer. Don't come to my campus. I will protect my children. But it's pretty sad that this president is trying to take away arms from good people. And if he even thinks about changing that Second Amendment or trying to, He's going to have a civil war on his hands. Well, but you see, this is the thing, Tina. Thank goodness it's him and not somebody that can talk uh, in complete sentences because I think that's what's what's saving us. Exactly. And it's pretty sad that we've got such a liar for a president. Well, it's also sad that the other political party, which wraps itself in the Second Amendment, thinks this is the moment to negotiate on gun control. No, it's not. You need to. People need to remember that this is what this is how Republicans reacted to Uvalde. They didn't dig in their heels and defend law-abiding citizens. Defend you. They said we'll go and have private closed-door talks with the gun grabbers. That's what they're doing. Well, they're idiots, and I'm sorry that if I even elected any of them, I'm so sorry about that. You know. I want Trump back. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well. And I love your radio station, so thank you for listening. I, thank you, me. Tina. Thank you for what you do, and thank you for for serving. I, I you know, um, whatever you think about Trump, he's just one guy. 
um, we got bigger problems. You, you already know, by the way, that even if he comes back, all the way back, these are the Republicans he has to work with. And, and I'm sorry, and this is why I don't belong to either party, um, neither party is what it claims to be. But at the moment, the Democrats are much closer to being what they claim to be. If you're in their base, if you're in their base, they're much closer to what they promised you they would do in this moment than Republicans are. It's a fact. And uh, it's dangerous when we have a system where people have voted and then don't believe they're getting what they voted for. In fact, they don't even believe in the results of their vote. I heard one of the officials in the Pennsylvania recount, you know, that, that Senate primary between McCormick and Oz is still up in the air. There's like 700 votes between them out of millions cast, or a million cast. And they've, um, they're, 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 they're going through a recount. And McCormick now wants a hand recount in some of the counties. Um, but it was it was striking to hear an election official say, we really don't know how many votes we've counted. We don't know how many votes we've counted. This is what you get for taking a solid, stable, law-based system of elections pitching it out the window for COVID. Now you're mailing them in. You're allowed to do all these things you could never do before. And we don't know who wins close elections. And we don't trust close elections. And and how do we go on as a country if every time there's an election, a substantial number of people who voted for the losing side think, that it was fixed, think that it was rigged. I mean, but you, you don't know because you've, you've never lived in an America where that was the case. But if you've, if you've ever lived or traveled anywhere else, you know what happens in the wake of a disputed election. There's violence, there's bloodshed, there's anger that doesn't go away. It just festers and stews. You know, we're trying to figure out what makes people hate an awful lot of it is directed by, created by, divided by politicians. Oh, sure, let's blame video games. Let's, and when I was a kid, it was rock lyrics. People, people are, are whacked out because their head is being intentionally pumped with division by politicians who see an advantage, a short-term advantage for themselves in that. And uh, all the Republicans have to do in this moment, and again, I'm not a Republican, I'm just giving them unsolicited advice, which I know they don't want from me or will take. All they have to do, if you just read the tea leaves, you don't even have to have principles. Gee, people really want the schools secure. Let's do that. Let's be the party of that. Nope. We're going to negotiate gun control with Chris Murphy, behind closed doors, so you don't know what we're doing or saying, or but don't worry, you'll like it when we come out.
KTSA News Time 639. Coming up this half hour, the results on our Stevens Roofing JR poll. Do you agree or disagree with the unconditional release of John Hinckley Jr., the would be Reagan assassin? Uh, will be unconditionally released. He'll be completely out of the system as of June 15th. And we're going to see how you voted on that coming up here. 210-599-5555. You know, everybody's talking about red flags and connecting dots and every high-profile shooter and shooting, we've just had one in Tulsa, um, has them. And I share the frustration many people have that sometimes really obvious things were overlooked, not connected. People saw something but didn't say something. They said something but nothing was done about it. I I really believe that we may be going down a road of trusting red flag thinking too much. I mean, think about your own life. Have you ever had somebody really close to you do something that you did not see coming, that just shocked you, surprised you? I'm sure everybody is saying yes, right? Everyone's had that experience. In other words, somebody you knew, maybe maybe you knew better than anyone, did something that you did not see coming. Everyone's had that experience. And we've also, I think, had the experience of losing friendships. And it's incredibly painful. It it can be right up there with bereavement and, and divorce in terms of the pain of losing a friendship. Because friendships seem no one says this, but but the you always think, well, I'll always have this friend. I'll be friends with you forever. And then one day you're not. So if we don't connect the dots with the people closest to us that we know the most, maybe that we live with or see a lot, is it possible we're overestimating our ability as a society to read red flags and connect dots and know that somebody's going to be a shooter? And, and, and here's the other thing. All the stuff we've described that, that this, this murderer and Uvalde did, You realize there's 99 other people doing that who will never shoot up a school. I I just, I think we have to look at the reality of evil and prepare for it and be on defense against it. I'm not saying we're helpless, but I don't think we can put all our eggs in the basket of red flags and connecting dots. We need to, and this is a terrible word, accept that from time to time, somebody like this will set themselves against a school, and that school needs to be much, 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 much harder for them to get into or near. And I'm okay with doing other things too, but I cannot believe that that isn't our first order of business. I cannot believe we are not demanding that first. There's a meme going around on the Internet. It's kind of simple-minded, but it, it, it kind of makes sense. There's a meme that says, after 9-11, we didn't ban airplanes. We, we hardened the cockpit. 
And again, it's not a, a great analogy, but the point is, we could have said planes are too dangerous. Look what can happen. Look what you can do with one. We, that, that, that was never a conversation, not for one millisecond. Did anybody say, well, we've got to do away with commercial aviation. Can't have that anymore. Back to sailing ships. No, nope, nobody said that. So maybe we can get our feet under us again, and it would help if we had some leadership, but maybe we have to be the leaders. That's got to be the first order of business. Um, because I don't have the confidence other people have in predicting human behavior. You can make the laws, the red flags, we're going to take away your guns if you do this, if you do that. But I'm, I'm telling you, the people you know best can, and on a regular basis, surprise the hell out of you. And yet you're telling me that human beings can somehow detect Little little beeps will start to go off when there's going to be a potential mass shooter. I, I'm not sure I believe that. My life experience doesn't doesn't tell me that's so. Tell me what you think about that. 210-599-5555. Remember the, um, it's kind of gotten lost in all of the other things that have happened. Remember we had the story the other day of the man who was on the subway train in New York? He was a Goldman Sachs banker. His name was... Dan Enriquez, and, and by all accounts, a nice guy and a good guy and a family man. And he's just riding the train, and he was uh, shot and killed randomly by someone who didn't know him. And then it came out that the shooter, 25-year-old Andrew Abdullah of Brooklyn, had 20 prior arrests, 20 for everything from assault, robbery, uh, grand larceny, possession of stolen property, violating protective orders, etc., etc., etc. This go back many, many years. So even when you and I, I mean, you and I could look at a guy like this and go, I don't want to be within 500 yards of him. Then you have to have a system that values human life and pays attention to details and when politicians say we need more gun control point out Andrew Abdullah to them because they're not doing their job and we're supposed to believe that if we give them more powers of what predicting the future they'll do a better job they're not doing it they're not doing a good job with reading the past they're not go doing a good job with keeping people off the streets and out of our lives who've already indicated they can't be in our lives. They can't be among civilized people. They just can't. But now we're going to trust you to have, like, psychic powers or perceptive powers to determine who the menace is before he's a menace? <laughs> really? Does that sound right to you? Do you agree or disagree with the unconditional release of John Hinckley Jr. ordered by a federal judge to take place on June 15th? The would-be assassin of Ronald Reagan will be unconditionally released out of the system. 89% tonight said no. 11% said yes. 
So 89% disagreed, 11% agreed. Um, we'll have a new JR poll tomorrow. We'll have uh, uh, the new question at 4 when we get started live on the radio. But, of course, you can find the JR poll anytime, and you can find our show anytime at KTSA.com. Today's an interesting anniversary. This is the uh, birthday, the 43rd, if you're keeping track, of the original Sony Walkman. Before the iPod was even a gleam in anybody's eye, we had the first ever portable, personal cassette player. Now, if you don't know what cassettes are, ask somebody older than you. We don't have time to go into all that now. (laughs) What do I look like, Google? But anyway, um, I remember when these came out. I did not have one right away. Um, But I remember getting one, uh, you know, probably within a few years of them being available. And this was when cassette music was at its, you know, zenith. We didn't have CDs, MP3s, digital we had transitioned from vinyl to cassette, which was not a great transition, but remember, because vinyl wasn't portable, it was revolutionary to have cassettes. And there was something about the Walkman that I think in many ways makes it the precursor of smartphones. It was truly a personal device. In other words, everything I'd ever owned before this, a transistor radio, a boombox, right? Stereo. You did that, you listened to that with other people. And the Walkman was you. It was it was a little box, probably about the size of a paperback book, maybe a little smaller than a paperback book. I'm trying to think of what I can liken it to, that even paperback book is a dated reference, I guess, now. What would, what would it be the size of? It's the size of a, well, it's bigger than a smartphone. And it, it was just big enough to play a cassette. But it was small because it had no built-in speakers or anything. And then you had, it came with its own um, foam-padded headset. I remember the, the first thing that went on Walkmans was those little foam pads. If you uh, wore it a lot, they would discolor, they would crumble... I remember having a Walkman. I had the Walkman Sport. It was the one that was a little more beefed up, supposedly. Not not that you could drop it, but you know, looked a little a little huskier. Anyway, I remember I had that, and um, you'd have to replace the the headphones every once in a while because the foam would go. And for a while, I wore them without the foam, and then eventually, you could just get replacement um, earpieces. But uh, yeah, that was a, it. Was really a revolutionary thing. It was the first time that. We took this kind of technology and made it strictly personal. And I think if it had not been for the Walkman, people would not have been as quick to adopt other things that were also uh, personal. Because listening to music, listening to radio, listening or, or watching television, those were all things at one time that you were used to doing either with other people or at least other people could see and hear what you were tuned into or listening to right so it wasn't it wasn't private and now all our devices we call them personal devices right everything is personal it's just for you 
The Walkman was really the first one of those. And I mean, again, you, you, the, the idea of MP3 players and iPods and everything else all flowed from that. In fact, they even used the name for quite a while. After cassettes were kind of passe, they were, they were still using that brand name. So 43 years old today, which makes it a little younger than me. I'll see you back here on the radio at 4 tomorrow at KTSA. The music with the Sony Walkman. The Sony Walkman is a tiny stereo cassette player with truly incredible sound. Put on a Walkman and see the world in a whole new light. Sony Walkman. The Walkman.